Welcome to the WBGO Journal. I'm Doug Doyle. New Jersey and New York City remember the devastation left behind by Hurricane Ida a year ago. We are here to commit ourselves to making New York City resilient to handle the storms like Ida that we know climate change is bringing. We'll hear about a new companion pregnancy app for women of color. The Wilomi founders soon learned no matter how much money you make or how good your insurance is, it doesn't guarantee the perfect pregnancy experience. WBGO's Kenneth Burns reports on Cape May County continuing to be the top destination for Canadian summer tourists. Hotels and campgrounds report 75% of Canadian business has returned. Comedian and actor Tommy Davidson, who made millions laugh on the popular sketch comedy series In Living Color, is now turning to his old love, music. And we'll hear about the upcoming Pittsburgh International Jazz Festival. All this coming up today on the WBGO Journal. Hurricane Ida devastated New Jersey and New York City a year ago. New York City is now beefing up flood protection measures, and officials held a moment of silence this week to honor the lives lost to flooding from Hurricane Ida and the one-year anniversary of the storm. The city's chief climate officer, Rid Argawala, says the city is now preparing for future intense storms by adding rain gardens in flood-prone areas that can absorb 2,500 gallons of water each. We are here to commit ourselves to making New York City resilient to handle the storms like Ida that we know climate change is bringing. New York City Council Speaker Adrian Adams says the rain gardens will make a difference. These projects will help our communities mitigate flooding and storm water so that when the next Ida strikes, because it will strike, we will be ready. Meanwhile, Governor Kathy Hochul is proposing a plan that would spend $41 million in federal funding to rebuild infrastructure areas that flood frequently. On the latest edition of WBGO's Call-In Show, Ask Governor Murphy, New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy was asked by host Nancy Solomon, what has the state learned about the storm that took the lives of 30 New Jersey residents? We relearned that these storms are coming more frequently, with more intensity, and less predictability. That's the, I'd say, first point I'd make. Secondly, God rest the souls of those 30 people who lost their lives, never mind the countless others whose lives were impacted typically be because of home or property loss. I think it's, it's, there's no one magic wand that comes out of this. Uh, it's a series of steps that we either are taking or we need to take. And I'll give you one example. It's put an enormous amount of impetus into something that was named not by me, but many years ago called Blue Acres, mm -hmm. which uh, basically is to have a program where you know you've got, listen, some would like to have it specific to a particular home, and I'd be open-minded to that, but more commonly, it's a, a street, a neighborhood that we know we, we're going to see this movie again. Um, whether it's, you know, in Ida's case, the two communities that I spent the most amount of time in, although sadly there were more than these two, were Hillsborough um, in particular, I guess, with, with the mayor. Uh, and then Manville with, with the president where we visited afterward. And so the notion of that, listen, we need to do a lot more preventative stuff, a lot more work with levees, infrastructure, um, work with the feds. We're the most densely populated state in America, so we got to get this right. But the Blue Acres notion is, Nancy, you raise your hand and say, listen, this is the fourth time I've been through this. And the president and I, by the way, literally met people who said mm -hmm. just that, enough already, no moss, give me a fair price. <clears throat> give me a way forward 
um, and I'm, you can buy me out of this. And you, if you do that in a concerted way, you can then turn what was a, a street or a neighborhood that flooded constantly and cost maybe lives, God forbid, but at least a lot of money for residents and rebuilding and all that, turn that into a really smart runoff that you can have experts, engineers design, which not just saves you that neighborhood, but it, it diverts water away from adjacent areas that would otherwise have been nicked by that. That's one example of many, but it, it's not, there's no one magic wand, Nancy. There's a lot of stuff that we need to do on our own and with the feds. You can hear the entire Ask Governor Murphy program this Sunday at 6 p.m. on WBGO 88.3 FM and WBGO.org. There's a new pregnancy companion app that has been launched for women of color. WBGO's resident reporter James Frazier has that story. Racism in America exists in many forms. Income inequality, bias in home loans, racial profiling during traffic stops, and more. One area of racism that is often overlooked by mainstream media is women of color and pregnancy complications. An article recently published on CDC.gov states, Black women are three times more likely to die from pregnancy-related causes than white women. Multiple factors contribute to these disparities, such as variation in quality health care, underlying chronic conditions, structural racism, and implicit bias. The question is, who can black women turn to in order to feel safe when expecting? The pregnancy companion app Wilomi has arrived to aid women of color and their families on the journey to a healthy delivery. So my name is Lyo George. I am the founder of Wolomi, W-O-L-O-M-I. Wolomi is a maternal health platform that is created by a nurse of color. So I am a nurse um, and for women of color, specifically supporting us to own our pregnancy journey and pregnancy and motherhood journey, find joy and get better outcomes. Lyo's journey starts with concerns for her own pregnancy. Right, like I started to look at the um, stats. So when it was time to have my child, I already kind of had a plan of what I wanted to do. First, it started from wanting to have a better experience. And then as I started to do research in grad school, I started to look at the outcomes that, wow, it's really bad. And, and then it just kind of turns, so I want to have a good experience and I don't want to die, you know? The Wilomi founders soon learn, no matter how much money you make or how good your insurance is, it doesn't guarantee the perfect pregnancy experience. Here we are in, in the D D.C. area where I grew up, and we have one of the highest paid or highest income community of color, and we, in our, our pregnancy journey in the hospital, looks sort of crappy, <laughs> and and... When you when I go to a, a small town in in um, in Wisconsin, they're getting a really good service, um, even though when you look at the income, it's not as high. Lyo has developed a system to educate women on how to maneuver throughout their pregnancy and ultimately remind them that they are not in this alone. For example, we have something called the weekly pregnancy moment that's written by a midwife, um, a midwife of color who. It's, it's sort of divided into a three area. One is what's going on with your body. The second is what should you be talking to your provider about? Because we know there's so many nuances with us. 
um, when it comes to our provider, like making sure that we are having those conversations with our provider. And then how do you navigate as a woman of color? Visit Wilomi.com to learn more and download the app for Apple or Android. For the WBGO Journal, I am James Frazier in Newark. Canadians are once again choosing Cape May County, New Jersey as a top destination for their summer vacations. WBGO's Kenneth Burns has more on the first summer back at the shore post-pandemic. For nearly 20 months, the pandemic limited border crossings at the U.S.-Canadian border unless it was for essential travel. During that time, Cape May County Tourism Director Diane Whelan says it made sure that their neighbors to the north would remember area beaches. We were still had a presence there. We were still keeping in front of them. You know, we're going to be here when you are. By the time both countries opened their borders last November, the county had launched their Reconnect Canada campaign in Quebec, including billboard and radio ads in French and in English. A vast majority of the province speaks French. Whelan says that the campaign has been a success so far. Hotels and campgrounds report 75% of Canadian business has returned. They're so happy to see them because over the years they've watched their children grow, now grandchildren, and it's part of the family, and the Canadians felt the same way. Canadians, particularly Quebecers, have been vacationing in Cape May since the mid-1960s. That number has since grown to about 100,000 annual visitors. Max Lecature visited Wildwood from Montreal earlier this month with his family and friends. He says he heard about the shore town from a friend in Quebec who had fond memories from when she was a child. I believe when she suggested that to us like five or six years ago, that's probably why we, we decided to come. With the exception of the last couple of years, Lecature says he has visited every year since. We can have a nice long day at the beach and then we can enjoy the evening in uh, in the amusement park. So that makes a great family vacation for sure. The Reconnect Canada campaign will run for two years and has plans to expand to Ontario markets, including Toronto. Whelan hopes that not only will past Canadian visitors return, but new ones will come as well. I'm Kenneth Burns, WBGO News. Joining us on the WBGO Journal are two people involved in the 12th annual Pittsburgh International Jazz Festival running September 16th through the 18th. We'll also be talking about another fest, a blues fest, that will take place before that at the Highmark Stadium in Pittsburgh. Familiar face to WBGO, Janice Burley-Wilson created this Pittsburgh International Jazz Festival, and she's been an arts leader for nearly two decades in Pittsburgh and beyond. She was named president and CEO of the August Wilson African American Cultural Center in July of 2017. And prior to that, she was vice president of the Pittsburgh Cultural Trust for 15 years. And she's just a fabulous person indeed. Janice, great to see you again. Thank you. It's great to see you too. <laughs> also joining us is jazz singer Venetia Gould. Venetia, it's wonderful to have you on the show. I'm so excited. This is great. <laughs> So Venetia is one of the several performers on tap for this uh, <laughs> wonderful festival, and we'll be talking to her about her performance there. Janice, 12 years ago, this festival was created by you, and we talked about it recently, last year, that it just continues to grow and grow. But now, because of the fact that you had some uh, issues that you had to deal with the pandemic, it's opened up a little bit now. Tell us where we stand as far as the festival and the crowds this time. We are um, gearing up for a full-on festival. We aren't we're considering COVID, obviously, but 
we made some changes to the venue because we wanted to be mindful of um, people's uh, comfort level being out in public. And we wanted to be able to, to create a really safe space for people. So we moved from holding the festival in the street where there's really no ability to, to manage security to the Highmark stadium, which is a beautiful venue right on the river. So you have the city skyline behind the stages. Um, it's right on, you can hear the water. It's right there on the river and it's in a great location in station square in Pittsburgh and the um, Highmark blues and heritage festival is September 14th and 15th, which is a um, Wednesday and Thursday. And then the Pittsburgh international jazz festival is September 16th through the 18th. And it was also at Highmark stadium. So people can come in from out of town and make it a really long weekend and catch both. A lot of great artists, including the, the lovely, talented, um, creative, brilliant Venetia Gould. <laughs> so excited to be able to bring her to Pittsburgh and introduce her to Pittsburgh audiences. Um, I've been a fan. I don't even remember. I was trying to think back to the first time I heard Venetia, and I honestly don't remember. I think it was Mesro, right? Maybe it, like was. it was. I'm not sure. I don't know, but I remember calling or texting a friend saying, you've got to hear <laughs> a woman, her voice is uh, so unique, but it has that strength and that, that depth that you, um, that you think of when you, when you mention names like a Sarah Vaughn or a Carmen mm. Gray or um, people like that, that um, or one of a kind. And so I've been kind of stalking her for a while. <laughs> <laughs> stalking and now, her I love it. <laughs> and now she is part of the, 12th annual Pittsburgh International Jazz Festival. And Venetia Gold's story is a good one. You know, her dad mm -hmm. uh, was very much a lover of uh, jazz. and But it was her brother, the, uh, the famous jazz musician, Victor Gould, who actually got her away from smooth jazz <laughs> to what we refer to sometimes as, as real jazz. And it, <laughs> it started with an album. That was Louis Armstrong and Ella Fitzgerald. Can you tell us yeah. about that moment? Yeah, that's hilarious that you know all those details. Because I, I guess I tell that story a lot. But I'm, I'm pretty sure it was like a Kenny G Christmas album, like with various artists on it. And I was just replaying that album like for weeks. And then Victor finally just like barged in my room and said, can you please play this, please? Like if you're trying to be a singer, can you just go ahead and put this on? And it was, uh, can't we be, can't we be friends is on there and Moonlight of Vermont. And at, at that, uh, moment I was gearing up to, um, apply for Los Angeles County high school for the arts. So my mom was looking for vocal teachers for me. And cause the repertoire I needed to learn was Italian, you know, like one Italian tune and one contemporary tune. Um, and so I got this, uh, classical vocalist to teach me and um and then I was like well you know I also want to sing jazz she was like okay well I don't know anything about jazz but you know bring in an album and we can sing over it and so I brought in that album and we and we just played Moonlight in Vermont over and over again as I just like practice each nuance of what Ella was singing you know and then pausing as Louis sings and then coming back in when Ella sings it was like my first experience on what I think it is to 
learn vocal jazz is literally listening to the heroes and copying every single thing until you can, you know, find your own specific little avenue or change the melody in some certain way that Ella didn't do. And then bam, you know, you've created your own little, your own little niche there within the tune. Oh, her feet tell the story of love and pain, a constant journey in the rain. She's a gypsy. The dirt on her nails are from different lands And from each land there is a man who made her cry And every tear that fell down would fall down on her sores And heal the bloody wounds from the ground And the ground would bring strength for her to keep moving on When she felt the urge to turn around Whoa. So we can thank your dad and yep. your brother, Victor, oh, who, yeah. is a, who is a pianist and, and has traveled all over the world like you've been doing now. Yeah. Have you had a chance to sit down with your brother and and maybe it's just for a, a little get the family get together or a party? And how does that magic happen? Oh, yeah. I just um, I don't see him often. He travels a lot. We try and do the holidays. I'm the worst when it comes to going to New Jersey. He lives in East Orange. Um, but he has two kids. So I have two nieces and like now I'm, I'm pressuring myself to go out there more. But when we do hang, the last time we hung out, it was right before I released my album with Lucy. Um, one of my best friends and one of my favorite singers. And, um, and we just listened to it, you know, like in between, um, in between tunes, just telling stories <laughs> about our, about our childhood. We had a pretty fun childhood growing up and, so we have like um, moments where we're just sitting in the backyard telling stories about, do you remember what, what this happened? No, I don't remember that. Like, you know, and going back and forth in details, but also he was able to give me some really good advice um, for any future albums, you know, and like what I need to look out for and, and like um, what type of help to seek. Uh, so it's, it's basically like that whenever we get together and it's rarely us playing. I mean, we've been playing a lot, I'd say this year more than the past years, we've been doing the Django together um, for uh, Satchel's vocal series at Django. And then we recently did Mesro. And it's so that's been fun, you know. But those were, to me, those were gigs. Whenever we hang out, we were, we're really playing. We're just talking <laughs> and cooking. Janice, when you think about the wide variety of artists that will be in Pittsburgh, when you think about the Blues Festival and then you think about the Jazz Festival, that's so appealing now these days because when you go there, you get a chance to get a taste of all different kinds of genre of music. Of course, you know, you have the bass for both for the blues and jazz, but festivals all over the world now, they, they realize they include all different kinds of art acts, don't they? Yes, and, and you know, when I started the jazz festival back in uh, 2011, I, I promised myself and I promised um, people that really wanted to see a jazz festival that it would remain a jazz festival as opposed to a music festival with a little bit of jazz sprinkled in. And so the, the, for the jazz festival, it really is rooted in jazz and music that has improvisation. So if there's music that, that isn't jazz, it's a part of the festival. It has those elements that are related to jazz. So um, 
there's uh, it's jazz, but a lot of different kinds. So we have Venetia, obviously. We have Ron Carter, who is very different from Stanley Clark, both bass players, right? Um, we have Dan Wilson, who's an amazing guitarist, um, kind of, I guess, traditional in the way that, that, that he plays, you know, um, traditional jazz straight ahead. But then we have um, uh, Butcher Brown, which is more funk based, you know, um, Incognito, which is kind of smooth R&B, right? And then we have AWB, which is like old school R&B funk. And, you know, they love jazz. So, you know, they, they, they could sit in on any jazz mm -hmm. um, jam session if they wanted to. So um, Samara Joy, who's a vocalist, is very different from um, Venetia, you know. And then we have um, Lauren Talese, who's also very, very different. We have the um, opening night party, which is called A Taste of Jazz, which features a lot of different musicians. It features restaurants offering a taste of their best on their menus. Um, and that's the um, opening night party on the 16th. That's right after the Ron Carter concert. So it's really a celebration of all different kinds of music that's rooted in jazz for the jazz festival with the mm -hmm. Highmark Blues and Heritage Festival. I really play on the heritage piece of it so that it's not, it's not just blues, it's blues and music that's kind of, it's rooted in a community or rooted in a culture, Newbury Brass Band. New Orleans, um, Ranky Tanky, you know, Gully, Gullah, um, Gullah music, um, Walter Wolfman Washington, who is, that's a blues artist. And then you have Chris Stone Kingfish Ingram, who is, you know, Mississippi, uh, Clarksdale, Mississippi, and Steel Pulse, which is legendary, you know, reggae, reggae band. And it's really a, a, an eclectic, very eclectic mix for people that love music. You can hear a little bit of everything. You can discover music that you artists you've never heard before live and also hear your favorites and that's kind of what I want the experience to be for people I want them to hear their favorites be able to sing along conjure memories and then hear something new that just kind of blows their mind or hear something that they decide they don't they don't really like but that's mm. what music is all about discovery right yeah Venetia for you it started in LA you have LA and Texas roots right and then mm -hmm. Uh, Simi Valley is where you know where you're from, but you also have some some Texas roots. Mm -hmm. And for you, when you think of jazz, what's the place do you think of? Because I know you couldn't wait to get to New York. Yeah, so, I mean, so for you, when you think of jazz, what city is connected to you? And and if you say something, no one's going to argue with you. Oh, I this is easily, just your opinion. Easily, New York. I'm never leaving this place. You know, I'm never leaving this place. I think of New York and um, I think of Smalls. <laughs> I think of uh, I think of Snoke Jazz Club. I think of the Vanguard. You know, I think of those things immediately come to mind. Just places before when I was in California, just places I dreamed to go to. And now they're at my front step, you know, it's New York for me. So Jana says we have a special little set for you at the Pittsburgh International Jazz Festival, but you're allowed to go back in time and select one artist to perform with who's no longer with us. Who mm. would that be and why? Um, who's no longer with us. I wouldn't mind duet with Mel Torme or Nat King Cole. 
I just, I'll never get over uh, Nat King Cole and uh, Sarah Vaughn singing Love You Madly, you know? But also Mel Torme, his voice is just everything to me. I think he's one of my favorite male voices that doesn't sound like Frank. Mine you know? too. Love you know, it's just so original. It's gorgeous. In her words is this collaboration that you mm -hmm. have with Lucy. Uh, tell us about it. Oh, it's great because that's it's a love story, I feel. Like, yeah, my favorite singer and one of my closest friends, um, Lucy Yegiazarian. The way I met Lucy was I had, I was called to do this gig um, and found out that there was a vocalist who was doing that gig regularly. So I was the sub. And I'm stalking this girl's page, trying to find a recording and find her singing, If You Could See Me Now. And I was like, oh my gosh, who is this girl? I've been in New York for two years and haven't and been going to the sessions every night. I haven't seen this girl ever. Who is she? And I want lessons. So I go to the gig and ask the bass player, bass player, I think it was Adrian Mooring. I was like, yo, does this girl teach lessons? Um, and he was like, yeah. I was like, how old is she? He was like, our age, like, you know, in her, in her 20s. I was like, ah, oh, man, I can't take lessons from a 20-year-old, dude. I can't do that. No way. And my pride got in the way. But <laughs> then when she was back on the gig, I came to the gig. And then uh, Adrian, the bass player, like pointed at me and said, yo, Lucy just asked me if you give lessons. <laughs> And during her break, we just like talked and talked and talked about the jazz scene, about being a woman, about guys, about, you know, being on the scene, jam sessions, just all of this stuff. And she was like, I love your song. Uh, me and my sisters love your song, Gypsy Feet. So while I was stalking her, listening to If You Could See Me Now, she was in a room with her sisters listening to Gypsy Feet, you know? And then I think a year later, she was like, yo, I, I, I think we could get this grant if uh, we, um, you know, talk about what we talk about. Uh, I think it originally was called Storm in a Teacup. Mm -hmm. um, it was supposed to be generally just like the ups and downs of being a woman, the things you don't see behind, behind the scenes. She mentioned, she had this great anecdote of like, you see the singer on the stage with the makeup and the dress and the heels, but you don't see her carrying the heels to the train stop with the bag of clothes to change in the green room and the makeup to put in the on in the bathroom. Like there's all this stuff that goes on as singers that we do. And uh, eventually it evolved into like basically just our conversations that we have. You can see my entire interview with Janice Burley Wilson and singer Venetia Gould on the WBGO Facebook page. Legendary comedian and actor Tommy Davidson is adding a new title to his roster, musician and singer. That I have been before To what I'm doing I'll be doing without your love And I I know The things that I have missed in life While living life away Just a fool with no how-to Many of us remember the hundreds of laughs Tommy Davidson served up as an original cast member of the popular and monumental sketch comedy series In Living Color. He starred and appeared in countless movies such as Strictly Business and Ace Ventura. And who can forget the priceless moment between him and Martin Lawrence on the show Martin. 
Tommy Davidson is still making people laugh as he'll be doing at the Stress Factory in New Brunswick, New Jersey tonight through Saturday evening, but he says he's more than ready to start a new chapter in his career music. He talks with Lights Out host and fan Nicole Sweeney about life, comedy, and his old love music. Tommy's already received a nod of approval from saxophonist Dave Cause, who he has a song with, and his new single, I Know, featuring Richard Elliott. It's all a testament that Tommy is serious about making us do more than laugh. He wants us to make us sing, too. How was it working with Dave Cause, and how did that collaboration even come together? Well, we had uh, come in contact with each other on the Dave Cos cruise, you know, and I did the cruise. He saw that I was musically ready, you know, obviously because he told me, you need to record. You need to start recording. You need to, you need to be an artist. And so I pursued that for about two years, putting together musicians, putting together, you know, uh, our producers, you know, working on my sound. And eventually... I got a track that I wanted to record. It's called Sweet Reunion, the first one. So I called him and I said, hey, Dave, you know, I got everything ready. I want to send you the track. Would you like to do this? And he listened to it. He called back. He said, absolutely. He said, it's a killing track. Couldn't happen to a better person. Let's do it. Nice. To tell you the truth, I've been preparing for this moment since I was six years old. Wow. You know, grown men used to come. I just talked to one the other day. Grown men used to come and knock on my mother's door and say, can he come and sing with our band? Grown bands. But in, in, in the meantime, in between time, why jazz? Because, because like other musics, I've been nurtured by a lot of musics. I can do any genre. But the genre that helped me grow the most was smooth jazz. Because I can think with it. I can live with it. I can study with it. I can contemplate with it. I can meditate with it. You know, I can basically live with it. Live with it. It actually... I can sync with it. You can see Nicole Sweeney's entire interview with Tommy Davidson on the WBGO Facebook page. Thanks for listening to the WBGO Journal. I'm Doug Doyle. Join us next Saturday morning at 5.30 for another edition of the award-winning WBGO Journal. In the meantime, stay tuned to the greatest jazz station in the world, WBGO and WBGO.org.